0: Okay, so today we're going to look at faith. Okay, so I'd like you to turn to John chapter 12. uh, John chapter 11, sorry. Because we're going to look at faith. I'm on two, two campaigns at the moment. One is that we acknowledge to ourselves that faith is hard. Faith can be difficult. Uh, We're realistic about faith. I want to be realistic about faith. Do you find faith hard sometimes? You know, there there are things in your life, issues that crop up, you know, all sorts of things happen. And sometimes it's difficult to grasp faith for what God is going to do. Do you find that? I find that, and I want to be real about that. Second thing is, I'm on a campaign to reinstate Martha. You remember Martha? There's Mary and Martha, yes? Lazarus, Mary, and Martha. Now, Lazarus is the one who's died and rose again, so that's fine, we can forget about him, he's a good boy. And then there's Mary, and she was wonderful because she sat at Jesus' feet, and and, uh, Martha got rebuked because she didn't understand what was going on. So Martha's a real, you know... I want to reinstate Martha in front of your eyes today because I think Martha is great. And she demonstrated faith for us in a way that helps us. And I want to help you today, I hope. I hope I can serve you in this way, that I help you today to stretch your faith and stretch your ability in faith. God wants us to grow in faith. And so I hope today, as we look at this familiar passage, you will enjoy reaching out with Martha to what God can do when Jesus comes into your situation. When Jesus comes. It's amazing, isn't it, what difference Jesus can make. When Jesus comes, everything changes. We sing a song, I don't know if you sing it, uh, Just One Touch. It's a Godfrey Bertel song, so Just One Touch. Uh, It's a a great song. Just One Touch from the King changes everything. So um, I commend that song to you. You guys can get hold of that. So John chapter 11, we're going to start reading uh, verse 17 probably because the the first part of the chapter is Jesus who deliberately stays on doing what he's doing when he hears about Lazarus' illness and deliberately stays uh, so that Lazarus actually dies. You know there is a definite and real decision on Jesus' part to ensure that when he gets to this place, Lazarus is dead. And uh, you need to understand that as we read on verse 17. Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off. And many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? And she said to him, yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who's coming into the world. that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who'd come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, Where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind also have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, take away the stone." Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odour, for he's been dead four days. Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you believe, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you've heard me. I knew you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. When he said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out! The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, Unbind him. Let him go. Lord, help us to gather from this this morning all that you want us to learn in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, I don't know if you have favourite places you like going to. Do you have favourite places? you like going to locally and, you know, holidays. The holidays are difficult, aren't they? You know, you want to go to the one place you, you know well and really like being and you want to try new places as well. Is that right? Yeah, that's what I'm like. I always, I always want to go back to places. I have this problem, I can get very melancholic, you know, so I mustn't do it too much, all this going back to places, because otherwise I get all melancholic. So you also need to have the stimulation of a new place and. But there are places, aren't there, that you like to go? The places locally I like to go, I could, I, should, I could tell you about them, but I don't want you to go there and spoil them for me. So, um, there are places I like to go just to walk and pray. Jesus loved this household. Jesus loved this group of brother and two sisters living together, an unusual combination. Even in those days, this would have been an unusual combination uh, of people to be living together. But they were living together in this home and they'd created a space that Jesus loved. They'd created a retreat that he loved to go to. They created a place that ministered to Jesus. Their ministry to Jesus was not to follow him in his immediate entourage, but to provide this place, where peace would reign, where he could get away from the crowds and just be with friends. I think he loved this place. I think, you know, I'm just imagining that there were days when he would think, oh, I just want to get to Bethany now and take a break with these lovely people. That's the relationship I think he had with them. And so it's doubly amazing that when he hears of Lazarus's illness, he stays on and waits for this moment. Because he loved these people. What he's going to do is take Martha on a journey of faith. She's going to take steps of faith. Some steps are going to go forward. Some steps are going to go backward. And she's sort of going to sort of rock around this place really until eventually she takes the biggest step of all and she sees the glory of God. I love that little phrase Jesus uses at the end there. Didn't I tell you you'd see the glory of God? You know, whenever God answers your prayers, whenever you feel, I've taken a step of faith and I've trusted God, I heard his voice and I knew what he was saying, and I trusted him and the result is here now. Whenever you do that, do you realize that is part of the glory of God given to you? It's the intervention of glory into your life. It's the intervention of heaven into your life. There was a famous bishop in England, Bishop of Durham, and uh, he was very famous in the, uh, I think it was the 1980s, wasn't it? He was, this, this guy was uh, really wrecking the gospel and wrecking the Anglican witness in many ways. Anyway, he said, I don't believe God intervenes on the earth today. And uh, he was very strong on this, that God does not do miracles. God does not break in. God does not do these things and uh, one day i read some of his biography and some of his early life and i think i discovered where all this came from because he he lost a very treasured possession when he was a kid and he prayed hard that he would find it and he didn't god was silent to him and it made such an impression on him that he got into his biography and i think there is the root there is the root of this man's lack of faith. He said, I don't believe in a God who laser like intervenes into people's lives. And I thought, that's exactly the God I believe in. Amen? Exactly the God. He intervenes laser like into our life. He sees an issue and he decides to deal with it. There are other issues that don't get deal with it dealt with, and that's a mystery to us. Especially in the area of healing, isn't it? When some seem to get healed, but others. Nothing happens. God intervenes laser-like, and it's a mystery to us where and when he does. But if we listen to his voice, we will hear him and respond to him, things will happen. Because God is God. So, here we are at this home. Now, when someone dies, uh, in those days, in these sorts of situations, they would have a lot of mourning, a lot of professional mourners even would turn up and wail for you to help you to uh, you know to grieve. So they would turn up and they wail for you. You know, whoa! You know, you've seen them, haven't you, on the television? beating their breasts. and there's a, a lot of lot of noise, a lot of uh, emotion poured out, and you can imagine this house is full of that sort of sound. It's full of that sort of noise and commotion. As people were wailing and weeping, it says, you know, Mary slips out, and they all think, oh, she's gone to the tomb to wail. We go wail at the tomb. It's a lot of noise. A lot of people who perhaps are not particularly uh, know Lazarus, but they've turned up. There's the whole village there, probably. There's all sorts of people there. There's a lot of confusion. There's a lot of pain. There's a lot of weeping. Mary and Martha saying to each other, if only Jesus had been here, our brother would not have died. They said. Again and again, they said, until it became a mantra. If only Jesus had been here, our brother would not have died. A mantra. And there's noise and confusion. Then someone says, Jesus is now coming. And Martha takes the first step of faith. She goes... To meet him. She didn't stay and wait for him to arrive. As soon as she heard he was coming, she left the noise and bustle and pain of that household and she went to the peacefulness of Jesus out in the country. It's her first step of faith. She left behind all that negativity. See, this is our problem, isn't it? especially for Brits. I mean, I know some of you are not Brits here. You don't have this problem, do you? But Brits have this problem. We are cynical and negative. And these are two national characteristics that are very useful in certain situations and very unhelpful in faith. And so what Martha does is leave the cynicism and negativity of professional mourners and the wailing and the pain and she comes out to the peace that Jesus represents to her. Is that our first step of faith? When there's a difficulty in your life, do you allow it to pour over your head or do you push it to one side and seek the peace of Jesus? See, because this is the first thing she did. First step of faith. I'm not John Cleese, <laughs> but sometimes, you know, I try. How high can you get? Me? Oh dear. So she takes this first step of faith and it's a great step of faith. Really. It is a good one. You know, you, We can classify this as a, a great leap forward. She leaves negativity. Now, I don't know about your history, but I know that I pray for lots of people to be healed and they haven't, for instance. I've also prayed for people to be healed and they have been. And I don't understand always what's going on, do you? And if this happens in your life, of course, you begin to, you can, if you're a British in particular, allow yourself to get negative about all prayer. So it is maintaining our positivity, maintaining our understanding of God is speaking to us. This is the first thing. She wants to meet with Jesus and hear what he has to say. And she meets with him away from negativity, so that what he has to say is not contaminated by the negativity and this is something that we must reach out for ourselves. Hit cynicism on the head you know there 's a lot of criticism of uh, what 's known as word of faith people or the faith group you know there 's a lot of criticism of these. Christians who proclaim, you know, just believe and all this, and if it doesn't happen, it's your fault, you haven't going enough faith and all this stuff. But it's a challenge to us, actually, to get rid of our negativity. And uh, so this is what Martha did. This is her first step when she went out to see Jesus. Verse... Uh, Next, next thing, next step is verse 21. Verse 21, Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. This is this mantra. Uh, Mary also says the same words, verse 32. This hurt that was inside. Deep hurt. Jesus, we thought you were our friend. Jesus, we thought you understood us. Jesus, we thought, we, we thought that, you know, given this sort of situation, you would respond. Surely, if anyone's going to respond in this, Jesus is responding. And so the, the deafening silence from Jesus has, has hurt them deeply. And what the effect it's had is to t- make Martha take a step back, she takes a step backwards here in faith. And yet, in some ways, it's not a step backwards, because she says, if you'd, not, if, you'd, if you'd been here, he would not have died. In other words, I know, Jesus, you can heal the sick. See, that's actually what she was saying. I know, I understand, you can heal the sick. I've seen you do it, Lord, I've seen you do it. So, yeah, when Lazarus is sick, who do we turn to? Well, Jesus, because Jesus can heal the sick. And so at first it looks like that she's actually proclaiming a statement of faith. And yet it is not a statement of faith to this effect that she could not see beyond that. So that when when Jesus comes, he meets her in in this state of total unbelief. You cannot raise the dead. You can heal the sick, but I cannot imagine you raising the dead. That's a sickness too far for me. That's what she's saying. <laughs> That's interesting, isn't it? It's a sickness too far. It's something beyond my experience. You know, we're not told what Martha actually saw in terms of healing and Jesus and the story she heard. We, we don't know all the details. When we get to heaven, you can ask her all about it. But what, what a story that will be in her life. Of all these things Jesus has done, And then Lazarus is sick and he doesn't even turn up. Hmm. Tough. And is it interesting that God doesn't say what he's doing straight away? He doesn't tell her what he's up to straight away. She's left. Hanging in this problem area. I know you can heal the sick, but he's not sick anymore, he's dead. And that's impossible. But praise God, with Jesus, all things are possible. Our problem is do we understand what God's doing? When is God going to heal? When is he not going to heal? When is he going to take people to glory? When is all these things, especially in healing, it's a big issue. But it can be in your job as well. Can't it? You know, new job, where you get uh, made redundant. What's God doing with my life? I've been made redundant. I didn't expect it. What's going on? What jobs are there around? God, what are you doing with my life? What's the bank account looking like? Oh, there's all sorts of areas where we can feel God is not saying anything, and yet behind it he's stretching our faith, and behind it he's taking us to the edge, you know, like those cartoons. I've never failed to giggle at those cartoons, you know, where people run off the edge of cliffs and keep running <laughs> and then drop suddenly. You, you know that one? I just—I always giggle at them. I'm like a kid. I'm like a five-year-old in front of those sorts of cartoons. You know, that it just—it just gets me. But God takes us to the edge so many times, doesn't He? When we say, "Oh, this is it. This is it. It's all over now." Martha was at that point. This is it. Lazarus is gone. No, no way. He comes back from this even when Jesus arrives. And so she was stretched forwards. She went out to meet Jesus and then she takes a step backwards as she says, I can't believe, Lord, that you are able to do this. And so the third thing, we're on to the third thing now, verse 22. Verse 22. Even now, I know, whatever you ask from God, God will give you. And so suddenly, as it were, she gathers herself together and realizes who it is she's talking with, and who it is she's talking with has a relationship with the God of glory that she knows about. And so she makes this statement and makes a huge step forward again immediately. I know your relationship with God is such that whatever you ask God, he will do. I know that. And so her theology suddenly takes precedence over her experience. Which is an important point. It's an important point. Theology takes precedent over experience. Her problem now is that she's got to link her theology and her experience together and that will happen. But at the moment, back in the, uh, back in the 1980s, we had uh, in the church I was in there, we had these people over from John Wimber's uh, teams. They came over to our church, John Wimber's teams, uh, we had two teams. Anyway, we had this particular team and they were doing their ministry stuff and, and so on. And on the first day, we had our normal leaders gathering together. Uh, the guys from the, all the churches in the region got together and we had this debate with these Americans. And what this debate turned out to be like was, was basically this. Look, you Americans, you, you just do things and then you think about the scripture and, oh, is there a verse that says something about what's happening how uh, can we find some biblical support for what's going on in front of our eyes and uh, we we brits what we do is we look at the scripture and we say i want to see that in front of my eyes and it's just a clash of cultures here it's a clash of biblical cultures but actually we brits we think we're right and you're wrong and the americans said well that's interesting because we think you brits Don't get it, because you won't change the way you look at Scripture. Oh. So there's this ding-dong that went on, you see, for a whole morning. These guys, pastors, ding-donging this debate about theology and experience, theology and experience. What comes first, experience then theology or theology then experience? See, like this. Eventually, the wives start crying. This is what happens, fellas. We know this, don't we? Eventually, the wives start crying. He's attacking my husband. And uh, so, yes, we had to stop. And sort the wives out. We said, it's all right, we're going to go and have a beer in a minute. Except not with John Wimbledon. We're going to go and have an orange juice in a minute. So, she grasped this important theological point. Jesus has a relationship with the Father. And I know Jesus. Whoa. It's a big one, isn't it? It's a very big one. Because steps of faith never seem to be in a formula, do they? You never you can't formularize it, can you? How am I doing for time? Time. You can't, you can't formularize what God does. He won't allow himself to be put in a box. He won't allow himself to give you, you know, five rules of healing ministry. 25 steps to maturity. You know. It's alright, I'm only on number two. So, you can't, you just can't do that anymore with God. He just will not be boxed in like that. And your faith has to handle that. It's like you have to hear from God fresh every time. Isn't that right? It's like every situation is different. But the voice of God is usually the same. So how you hear God in your head and in your life, that's an ongoing journey of recognition you more and more recognize, oh, that's God, I know that. I can sense that. That's God in my head. I know that. And she, she was at this point where she knew that. It was all about relationship, not about rules. And so relationship was the primary thing, and God and Jesus, Father in glory and Jesus standing next to her, They have a relationship whereby God responds to his son and vice versa. And she knows Jesus. Hallelujah. Whoa. Oh, you're getting excited now. (laughs) Fourthly, verse 24, Martha said to him, I know he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, Lazarus will rise again. Now this time theology intervenes in a bad way. Okay, because this time theology intervenes because she's learned it. You see, this is something she's learned in Jesus' ministry. She's sat at his feet. She's learned what he's been teaching about the future. She's, she's learned eschatology. Woo! And she suddenly comes out, with as as he states, Lazarus will rise again. She says, I know he will rise again in the last day. I know, I believe. I believe the future. Do you believe the future? You're going to rise again on the last day. Do you believe that? Hallelujah. We're going to have new bodies. Whoa, that's going to be good news, isn't it? (laughs) We're going to live with him. There's going to be a new earth. And God will calm down and dwell with us. Isn't that amazing? That's what God is going to do. He's going to dwell with us. Jesus will be, we will be on this new heaven, new earth with new heavens. It's all going to be new. It's going to be perfect. It's going to be no tears, no crying, no pain, no suffering. It's all going and we're going to have a great time. Isaiah says, the finest of meats and the best of wines. Or the other way around. The finest of wines and the best of meats. So veggie people, you're in trouble. <laughs> we are—we're gonna have a wild time. I'm gonna ask all sorts of questions. I, is a good job eternity is going on for a long time. Lots of stuff I want to ask. Don't you? I believe the future. Martha believed the future, and Jesus had healed the sick. She believed the past. So she believed the past, she believed the future. What she was struggling with was now. Isn't that us? Aren't we like this? At KCC at the moment we're going through a series on Peter. The life of Peter. I love Peter. Man's man. Just like us. Completely idiotic. And completely Powerful. And the two somehow never, you know, I mean this is just a roller coaster of a ride with Peter. Martha is to say she's someone you can identify with. She's just like us. She believes the future, she believes the past, but now. And so she drags up some theology to divert Jesus in a sense. It's almost like she's saying, Yeah, 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 yeah. I know in the future. So, she takes a step backwards. You don't mean now, do you? Well, I've got to have faith for this now. The next step is a step forward. That's a relief, isn't it? Because this one looks like a backward one. For the next step, verse 27. See, before this, Jesus gives this statement that's been used by evangelists for centuries. He gives this statement. I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, he may die. Live. Evangelists have used this all through the years. But Jesus isn't evangelizing Mary, Martha. He's not evangelizing, he's teaching. And he's teaching her and inspiring her. And imagine, here they are still just, just together, sitting on this wall, you know, just outside the village. They're just sitting there together, talking. And he says, I am the resurrection and the life. This is, this is friend to friend. This is, this is relationship stuff. I am the resurrection and the life. Do you believe that? Do you really believe it? And you can imagine, Martha is just drawing on Jesus and drawing, she's been waiting for this moment of his coming. And now she's just drawing on it. She's listening to him again. And faith is rising. Faith is rising. I am the resurrection of life. Even though he died, yet will he live. Do you believe this? Do you believe this? And up comes the Faith. And I believe here's the Holy Spirit moment, just like Peter. Because there are two people who say this in the New Testament. Peter and Martha. And they're both inspired by the Holy Spirit, I believe. But she had the privilege now of saying these words that were recorded so that we, through the centuries, millions of Christians might benefit from these words. And might say, it was Martha who said these. It was Martha who reached out in faith for this. It was Martha, the housewife. The ordinary Martha. She reached out in faith and she took alongside Peter the privilege of saying these words to be recorded for posterity for thousands of years, and we have listened to them ever since. Yes, Lord, I believe. You are the Christ, the Son of God. You know, to say that, when all of her culture, everything about her national history and her culture, all said the Messiah comes in power and glory, leading a mighty army to rid us of the Romans and rid us of this situation we're in, he comes in power, magnificent and wonderful. And we will all bow down before him as he rides to victory. This man. This man I know. This man I'm talking to. This man I love. This man who has such a relationship with me makes me feel so different. This ordinary man. Yet extraordinary. He's the Son of God. It's Him. He's the Messiah. This one next to me. This one so close to me. This one I've touched. This one I've given meals to. This one I have been with with joy and peace time and time again. This one. He's the Messiah. It's so radical. It's hard to describe how radical this is in their culture for her to say that. For the religious leaders, it was utter, utter nonsense. For the intelligentsia, for the politicos, it was crazy stuff that this man from Nazareth, this country bumpkin, should be the son of God. But when you have a relationship, then you discover who he really is. And this inspirational moment, she reaches the heights, doesn't she? She takes such huge steps forward. This is a statement of huge faith, given her culture, given her background, her upbringing, the teaching she's had all through her life. This is an extraordinary, powerful, Holy Spirit inspired statement. Yes, you are the Messiah. Hallelujah. So he's leading her on, isn't he? He's getting her there. He's, he's just taking her step by step and we're getting there. And it's amazing. God will do that with us too. And you'll find the ups and downs. You know, the, the issue may continue for some while. Maybe the job issue continues for some while there'll be the ups and downs. There'll be moments when you will know deep in your knower that he is the Christ. And anything is possible with him. So, what are we up to? And so, this Holy Spirit-inspired response. Our faith is always based on who Jesus is. Always. It's got to be. It's got to be based on these two statements of Martha. I know God will answer you. I know you are God. It's got to be that, always. That's where our faith lies. I know God will answer you, you are God, and I have a relationship with you. And so this relationship is complete. Uh, next point. At home, if they see me turn over the page, they know it's, you know, another 15 minutes. What, more? dear? Yeah. tea. Right. So, next, verse 39. We go right down to verse 39. There's all this stuff with uh, Mary, uh, where she repeats it, the mantra to him and, and the Jews, see how he loved him and all that. And uh, we get down to... Verse 39, and Jesus says, Take away the stone. Now, at this point, Martha, the housewife, reappears. Suddenly, she's like, You know, it's like I'm being on an elastic band back to default position. You know, suddenly she lets go of the elastic band. She's been stretched all this way, you know. You are the Messiah. You're the Son of God. Move the stone. <laughs> That's what it's like, isn't it? Suddenly the housewife is faced with the housewifely things. He'll stink. (laughs) He'll stink. It's going to be an odour. It's going to be terrible. It's going to be awful. I don't want this. It's unclean. It's not nice. I don't want to do this. The housewife has reappeared and pinged her back an awful long way. And that can happen to us, can't it? You've got a default position. Oh, I can't believe in these circumstances. See, these are the sort of circumstances I know about. Think of Peter again. He was, he was like it as well, you know. Jesus says to Peter, put the nets down the other side. I'm a fisherman. He's telling me. I'm a fisherman. I've, I've, I've done this all night, Jesus. I know about these things. I've a a been a fisherman all my life, Jesus. What do you mean, put the net down the other side? In these circumstances, I know what I'm talking about. You shut. See, we can be like that, can't we? Martha was the same. In these circumstances, Jesus, I'm the housewife here. You know, I know you just eat the meals, you sit at the table, you have a nice time, but I do all the clearing up and I know this is, this is, this is not good. And it's strange, isn't it? Because Jesus has taken her on these steps of faith and she's made these huge proclamations about who he is. And in the short space of time that they've had around the house and the negativity of the house and the negativity of the Jews and the wailing and the weeping, even Jesus himself crying, something has happened that has enabled her to spring back to default. And then comes this final step. Finally, we get there. Because Verse uh, 40, Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? And now the question is, what tone of voice did Jesus use to say these things? That's the question now, isn't it? Because unfortunately the Bible is in black and white on a page. Yeah, It's not a video, it's not a DVD, it's not... You know, when you get to heaven, you can ask for the DVD. Let's have a rerun. I'd love to do that. Let's see what it was really like. But on the page here, you can't tell often what it was really right. So I'm going to make some guesses here. And I think this was not a rebuke. See, I think as you read it, you can look at it as a rebuke. Jesus says, move the stone. Martha Martha immediately puts out her hand because, as the Bible reminds us, she was Lazarus' brother, so now she was head of the home. So she stops the men. No. So Jesus is saying, come on, Martha, roll away the stone. No, he'll stink. Now, the response could be, Martha, didn't I tell you? Haven't I spoken to you? Haven't I spent hours talking to you? Isn't it all the outcome of all these hours of speeches? In one ear, out the other, isn't it, Martha? With you, it's in one ear, out the other. With Mary, she sits at my feet; she absorbs a lot, like blotting paper. But with you, it's in one ear, out the other. For God's sake, Martha, wake up! Move the stone. Or Martha. Martha. Remember what I said? Just remember and look to see the glory of God. Just remember it. Look to see the glory of God now. In other words, I don't believe he was rebuking her. I believe he was encouraging her. Come on. Come on, we can do this. We can do this. And sometimes God seems to take you to the edge of decisions and the edge of, you know, where time seems to run out, where things seem to get too difficult. And He's just saying to you, come on, one more step, and you'll see the glory of God. Come on, remember? Remember what I said? Remember how I spoke to you in that meeting. Remember how I spoke to you as you walked that street. Come on, remember. One more step, we'll see the glory of God. And all the Bible says is, so they rolled away the stone. I think that means that she took her hand away and she said, okay. Okay, fellas. Let's do it not in the Bible, but I hope you can receive that. Okay, let's do it. And Jesus does this prayer and, you know, we could talk about the wording of the prayer and what that teaches for another hour, but what happens next is extraordinary, isn't it? Probably the most amazing miracle in many ways Jesus did, although how can you categorize them really? He shouts out, "Lazarus, come forth." And I like to imagine what it'd been like to be there. as Jesus prays his prayer, I'm praying this God so that they can hear because they need to understand our relationship. And then, "Lazarus, come forth!" And everyone strains forward to see what's going to happen next. What will he do next, and they hear this sound and suddenly, in the in the gap where the stone was, appears this apparition wrapped head to foot looking like a mummy out of an Egyptian pyramid. And all the women go, ah! and all the men go, because that's what we're like. When it comes to action, fellas, that's what we like, isn't it? We just gasp. Wow. And it's like you can hear the whole of heaven giggling. And you can hear the humor in Jesus' voice as he says, Untie him. Come on. Untie him. Don't leave him like that. And Lazarus is probably saying, where are we out of here? (laughs) (laughs) I feel better now. (laughs) Hallelujah. What a moment to live through. What a moment to live through. Do you think they ever forgot that? Do you think that ever diminished in their eyes? That was the moment. That was the moment. Jesus raised him from the dead. And Martha could stand and say, I was taken on a journey of faith that led to seeing the glory of God. Because only God can put together a body dead for four days. Only God. Only God You know, this week in the Times, I see an article about uh, the latest thinking from anthropologists. Oh, everybody has a sense of God built in. Really? What a surprise. (laughs) Thousands of pounds spent on research to discover. It's mesmerizing, isn't it? Don't you think... (laughs) It's mesmerizing. Martha could say, I know God. I don't just have a built-in tendency. I know him. What about you? Built-in tendency? Or do you actually know him? Have this relationship whereby you can, you can just feel what he's saying to you. That takes you on a journey of Faith for situations in your life to be changed. Maybe you've got facing some of those right now. And that's maybe something good to pray for right now. Do you think? So why don't you, why don't you just stand? If there's something in your life that you want just to be stretched in faith, or you're struggling a bit in faith, maybe we can just reach out for God now.